We are um, examining the gospel, not so much from the four gospels, but from or through the lens of the early church and some of the writers there and some of the issues that the church had. Some of the best teaching material that we have today from the scriptures is actually in the Bible because the church of Paul's time and the church of the early, you know, the early first century, because they were having issues we have teaching to confront those issues, and so we should be thankful that they were not a perfect church. Amen? Because if they hadn't had some of these problems and difficulties, we wouldn't have some of the teachings that we have to learn from, because if you're paying attention, you'll notice that a lot of the problems they had back then were still having today. You would think by now we would have straightened all this out, but we haven't quite gotten there as a church. Um, today, though, we're jumping into a book we have not yet been in, at least during this series, and that is the book of Romans. Now, Romans was written by Paul, and let me just remind you that Paul was not always Paul. Paul started as Saul. That was his name. He grew up in a very devout Jewish household. We're told that he was both a rabbi, and so he had completed training all the way up through and, and was considered one of the religious leaders of his time. He was a Pharisee. Um, they had different sects within Judaism, and he was a Pharisee. And Paul, or Saul rather, went around because he thought that Christianity and Jesus' followers were a threat to Judaism, he went around personally persecuting Christians for the first part of his life. In fact, he was greatly feared among the Christians. They didn't want to see Paul come. Everywhere Paul went, I keep saying Paul, he was still Saul back then. Everywhere Saul went, he would arrest Christians. He would take them into custody. They would be beaten, sometimes even killed. And so the church was terrified of Saul. Then Saul, one day on the road to Damascus, met Jesus firsthand. A blinding light shone and, and blinded him, and, and you know he was knocked to the ground, and a voice from heaven spoke to him, and we're told that it was the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ saying, you know, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And so Paul, or Saul kind of got his, his whole life straightened out. He changed his name to Paul, and Paul became one of the best missionaries of the gospel of Jesus Christ that has ever lived. He traveled all over the known world of his time, planting churches, and then wrote these letters to help them. So after meeting Jesus, Saul became Paul and his entire life changed. And you know what? That's the story that should be the story for all of us. No matter who you are and whether you change your name or not, when you meet Jesus, your whole life should change. You understand what I'm saying? It shouldn't be just a matter of, well, I made this decision to follow Jesus and now I go to church on Sunday mornings and that's it, right? It should be a change from darkness into light. It should be night and day, literally. The Bible tells us that when we follow Christ, everything should be different. And that's kind of the way it was for Saul, who turned into Paul. Paul wrote the letter that we call Romans to, of course, the church at Rome. He wrote this, we believe, later in his life, after he had already written a lot of the other letters. And Romans is the fullest, most complete description of the gospel of Jesus Christ that we have in the New Testament. It's also one of the longer books in the New Testament. So, if you're one of those people that likes, you know, books that are 500 words or less, Romans is not for you. However, if you really want to understand what the gospel means, I would highly recommend that you read the whole book. Uh, the church in Rome had been in some difficult situations. They had been around for quite a while. Um, they had been a fairly strong church. They contained both Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians, um, people who followed or grew up you know, with Judaism as their primary faith and Gentiles who came from other faiths and knew nothing about Judaism. And they got along okay until 
Emperor Claudius, one of the the emperors of that time, decided to expel all the Jews out of Jerusalem. I'm not going to go into why, it's a long story, but suffice it to say, all of the Jews were forced to leave uh, Rome, not Jerusalem, I said Jerusalem, Rome. They were forced to leave Rome, and for five years they were not allowed back. After five years, the the Jews came back, including the Jewish Christians, and when they came back, of course, the church looked a lot different than it did when they left, because they left it in the hands of Gentiles. The only people that were left in the church for five years were not Jews, and therefore when they got back, the church didn't look anything like a Jewish church. They, they weren't eating kosher. They weren't worried about circumcision and things like that. They weren't honoring any of the Jewish festivals. They were not a Jewish church anymore. And as the Jews came back to Rome, that caused a schism. It caused a divide. And, and the people kind of divided into camps, Jews versus Gentiles, for the very same reasons that we've talked about a couple weeks ago. You see, Paul was constantly dealing with this issue of whether or not a Christian had to first take on the culture of a Jew before they could become a Christian. And we've settled that issue, haven't we? If you've been here a couple weeks, the answer is what? No, you do not have to conform to Jewish culture in order to be a Christian, nor do you have to conform to American Christian culture to become a Christian, amen? I didn't think you'd say amen quite as loud for that one. We like people who are like us. That's our nature. But we're called to minister to people who aren't. And that is the glory of the gospel. It is open to everyone, no matter who you are, no matter what culture you embrace first. You don't have to conform to anything to become a Christian. You just have to call upon the name of the Lord. And so Paul writes them this letter the book of Romans, to try to unify the church once again and bring them back together. And again, as I said before, it is the fullest explanation of the gospel that we have in the New Testament, so it's a must-read if you're going to follow Jesus. We're going to jump into Romans in chapter 6, verses 3 through 14. It's kind of a lengthy passage, so if your neighbor starts to nod off, just give him the kind, loving elbow to the ribs and keep him awake, okay? Here we go. Or have you forgotten, Paul says, that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. Let me read that again because that's a good one. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Almost done, I promise. Hang with me. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you you have new life. 
So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. May God speak through his word in this place this morning. I know that was long, and I know Paul gets redundant, doesn't he? I mean, we hear this theme over and over again, but let's dive in here and look at first verses three and four. We are said by Paul in verses three and four to be joined with him in his death. We are joined with Christ in baptism. Just as Christ went into the grave and died, in baptism we go under the water and our old self dies. And when we come out of the water, just like Christ was raised from the dead, we come out of the water to new life. That's why when I baptize people, I like to just remind them as they come out of the water, they don't even hear me probably, I say, out of the water to new life in Christ. I just like to say it, okay, because that's what it means. It is a symbol of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And when we go under the water, we die to our sins, and we come out a new person, not just clean physically, especially if you'd have seen the stuff floating in our baptistry a couple weeks ago. It was not a cleaning process, okay? It was a symbolic act of being cleansed from within where we live a new life through Christ. He says that we are joined in, with him in baptism. And, and the, what's wonderful about what Paul says in verses three and four is he says this, the very same power that raised Jesus from the dead gives us new life in Christ. Listen, I think in today's world, we've kind of forgotten the power that is ours in Christ. Because I see a lot of Christianity today running around talking about the fact that, you know, we can't possibly live a holy life. We can't possibly clean ourselves up. We can't possibly be like Jesus. We can't possibly tow the code. Now, we know that the code is different than it is in the Old Testament. The code today, as we've talked about more than once, is love your neighbor as yourself. When Jesus becomes a part of our lives, we're supposed to change the way that we interact with other people and live a life that is worthy of the calling he placed on us. And yet, so often, I hear Christians say, I just can't do it, Pastor. And you know what? God will take me anyway, so I might as well just live my life in be happy, right? Well, I absolutely agree with the live your life and be happy part because I think God wants us to be happy, amen? Listen, I wouldn't try to get you people to laugh so much if I didn't think God wants us to be happy. I know I fail most of the time, but that's all right. I'm gonna keep trying because I believe life should be good. Don't you? And I believe life with Jesus is a good life. The challenge is this. We think that trying to do the right thing and working at our faith and trying to follow Jesus is so laborsome and so difficult that we can't possibly do it. And I will grant you that I will probably never be perfect before I get to heaven. I thought my wife would say amen to that. She didn't though. She's so nice. I will probably never get perfect. You will probably never be perfect until you get to heaven. But you know what? I believe that the very same power that raised Jesus from the dead gives us the power to live a new life in Christ. And so if we're gonna walk around as Christians feeling defeated about overcoming our sin or feeling defeated about depending on God and relying on him, if we're gonna be defeated about whether God's gonna take care of our needs and and, and provide for what we need, then we are denying the power that is in us. Listen, to live the Christian life, the church today does not have a power problem. We have a grit problem. Let me say that again. All you Detroit Lions fans should know what I'm talking about here. We don't have a power problem. 
We have the power to live a new life in Christ. The Bible says that. If God can raise Jesus from the dead, that very same power can straighten you out. Okay, let's make this personal. Can straighten your spouse out. (laughs) But you have to go too, right? Listen, the very same power that raised Jesus, if God could raise someone from the dead, don't you think he can help you straighten out your problems and your life and get you on the right track? We don't have a power problem. We have a grit problem because it's hard. We don't like hard, right? We are famous. My generation, well, actually, it's the generations following my generations that are more the way, but we love to talk. All us old people love to talk about how these modern generations just don't know how to work. They don't want to do hard stuff. Well, you know what? If that is true, guess why it's true? Because we never made them do hard stuff. That's us. That's on us. That's why, that's one of the reasons that, you know, I never played football growing up, but I love the fact that I got to help coach football because I know it beats kids up and you can go back and forth as to whether it's good, bad, or otherwise. They're doing a lot more for concussions and good stuff. But listen, football forces you to do hard stuff. You have to. If you're going to play football, you have to work hard. You have to do stuff. Did any of you see that movie? What was that movie that came out a few years ago by that Christian organization? I'm going to forget it. Facing the Giants. Anybody see Facing the Giants? Raise your hand if you saw Facing the Giants. Facing the Giants was one of those weird movies created by a church. Like they took their video equipment and stuff they borrowed from Walmart and Radio Shack and made this movie. It was, it was really nuts at the time. Nobody had ever done that. And they made a full-length feature film about this Christian high school team that won won this championship or something, which of course makes it a great football movie, but two, because of the prayers of one of the faithful people in the school, actually experienced revival while that was happening. So it's a wonderful movie on a whole bunch of different levels. You should go watch it. It's probably on VHS. I don't know. Maybe video, maybe DVD by now. I don't know. Anyway, but one of the greatest scenes in that movie, the coach is trying to help his players to understand that they can do more than they are. And they they just keep giving up. You know, they look across the line. They see somebody big and they go, oh, I can't do this. I can't block that guy. I, I, I just can't do it. I, I'm too, it. It's just too much for me. And he takes one of the kids who's not being a leader on the team and he says, you can do more than, than you think you can. The kid's like, what do you mean, coach? He said, I want to blindfold you. They did this crawl thing. I don't know what it's called, but basically you get down on your hands and, and feet. Your knees can't touch the ground and you have to crawl. But then one of your, your teammates gets on your back. And you have to crawl with the teammate on your back. I don't know about you, but as an old man, that doesn't look like any fun at all. I don't want to do that. But that's what he did. He said, I want you to get down there, and and I want you to promise me that you will give me everything you've got. I always do, coach. No, I want you to promise me you're going to give me everything you got. I will. How far do you want me to go? He says, I want you to go until you can't go anymore. How, how far do you want me to go, coach? I want you to go till you can't go anymore. And then he gets down, gets a kid on his back, and the coach blindfolds him. It's like, coach, I can't even tell where I'm going. We'll guide you. How far do you want me to go? Go as far as you can go. And so he starts going. And he starts going. And he's pushing. And the kid gets heavy. And the whole, it's this whole thing. You know, the team's cheering him on. And the kid's yelling, I can't do it. And the coach is going, you can't do it. As only a football coach can do, right? And, and they're just cheering and screaming and howling. And before long, the other players who are sitting in the end zone stand up because they can't see the yard markers this guy's reaching anymore because he's so far away and he keeps going and he keeps going and he keeps going and finally he just falls over he's like i'm sorry coach i did the best i could and the coach says dude you're in the end zone what 
You see, the whole point was this. You can do more than you think you can do. And living the Christian life is not about God magically waving his magic wand and us suddenly becoming perfect. It's about day to day, hour by hour, living the Christian life, listening to the Holy Spirit, and doing the things that God calls us to do. But, but that takes work, and it takes effort, and it takes energy, and sometimes it's just easier to sit on the couch and watch television. It's hard, but the very same power to raise Jesus from the dead is behind that effort. And so we don't have a power problem. We have a grit problem. The reason the Detroit Lions are good supposedly this year is because they changed the culture and now they all work harder. You know, what would happen in the church if we all decided that every lick of energy that we have is gonna go into maintaining and building our faith <laughs> instead of all the other stuff we put our, money, our time and energy into? Instead of trying to make that extra 30,000 a year with extra side jobs that we really don't need because we already have everything we need? What if we put that energy into serving our community, into leading a Bible study or starting a small group or, God forbid, setting up tables and chairs in the narthex because that's not a spiritual gift in case you haven't noticed. Nobody wants to do that. Did I say narthex? I meant fellowship hall. Anyway, what would happen if we put all of our effort? Listen, we don't have a power problem. The Bible promises us that the very same power that raised Jesus is there to help us live a new life. We need to do it. Verses 5 through 11, he kind of changes the analogy. First, we're joined with him in baptism. Then he says we're united with him in his death and raised to life just as he was. He says the old sinful self was crucified. This time he uses the word crucified. First it's you were buried with Christ. Now your old self has been crucified on the cross of Calvary. And, and I love that he says this. He says so that the old sinful nature was crucified so that sin would lose its power in our lives. Sin would lose its power. So if we crucified our old self on the cross, sin no longer has power over us. When I, I read those words earlier this week, an image came to my mind, and I don't know if it's from God or if it's just what I was dealing with at the moment, but here it is. At my other property, we had vines that were very invasive. Anybody else have invasive vines growing on their property? I'm not a gardener. I grew up working in the garden. I don't ever want to do that again. But they were taking over trees. They were, you know, cluttering up our, our fence line. They were destroying my fence. And so I kept going out there. Every year I'd go out and I'd trim these stupid vines back. And within a week, they'd be hitting me on the head when I mowed again. Anybody else have that problem? I, can't, I, I can tell you, I can plant flowers. I can plant grass. It'll be dead in a week. Those vines grow whether there's rain, whether there's sun. I swear to you, they're probably still alive out in the woods right now. And I finally, one year, I, I'm like, I am so sick and tired of this. There's one particular tree, the vines would grow out, and it would hit me in the head every time I mowed. And then my wife wants to check me for ticks when I come in, because every time I touch a plant, she thinks I'm carrying ticks. Anybody else have that issue? Man, so paranoid. Anyway, so I finally just said, I'm, I'm done with this. And so I got out my big clippers. You know the big clippers. Oh, 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 oh. And I started following the stupid vine around the tree, and it took me a good 20 minutes to figure out where in the world this thing came out of the ground. I never really thought about that before. Oh, it's all in this tree. Wait a second. How did it get in the tree? It has to start somewhere. And so I went down, and I followed this thing into the ground, and the base of that vine was like this. So I took the big clippers back to the garage, and I got the sawzall. <laughs> 
Some of you are like, use your chainsaw. I, don't, I, have, a, I have an electric chainsaw, okay? Cut me some slack. I'm not a lumberjack, all right? But I got a sawzall on that thing. It did, a, it did a number on those vines. And so I chopped those vines off. And you know what? I just left them hanging there. Victory for the day, I'll get them later. Over the next couple weeks, I watched. And you know what happened? They died. They died. You know how much easier it is to pull dead vines out of a tree than it is live vines? And that's the image that I got when I read this. The power of sin has been destroyed. It's like on the cross of Calvary, the roots that grow into our lives that, that lead us to that sinful life have been chopped off and the power of sin is no longer active in our lives so long as we're willing to embrace the fact that Jesus is willing to create a new life within us. It, literally, the roots of sin have been chopped off so that we no longer have to live under the power of the sinful nature. We are no longer slaves, he says. He gets very redundant in the rest of this, verses 5 through 11. He kind of goes back and forth, talks about how our life is intertwined with Christ. His death meant death for our sin. His life means that we live with him. We're to be dead to sin and alive to Christ. And again, Paul just states it in about five different ways, but he's pretty clear about what he says. And I'm sure that if you read it, you can figure that out for yourself. And then in verses 12 through 14, he gives us three don'ts. I love it. I love it when the Bible is plain and clear. He says this, don't let sin control the way you live. And I know none of you would ever do that. But for those who might, don't let sin control the way you live. In other words, don't allow sin to determine the decisions that you make and how you live your life. Sinful thoughts, sinful things, sinful desires, selfishness, things like that should never be the driving force behind your life. Don't let sin control the way you live. Second one, don't give in to sinful desires. Sometimes you don't plan on sinning. Sin isn't controlling your life, but you have an impulse. You have a desire. Kind of like, you know, when I'm trying to lose weight and my wife has chocolate all over the house and I just need it, right? And sometimes we're that way with more serious issues in our lives. We don't want to do it, but the impulse is there because the desire is there, and sometimes we just give in. Don't do that, he says. Don't give in to sinful desires. Don't let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. In other words, don't let your body, keep your body under control. I, I half think he's talking about the tongue. In James, we have this whole conversation about how the tongue is one of the most dangerous things for a Christian because our tongues get us into trouble. And today on social media, our fingers don't help the situation much, right? I'm sorry, thumbs for textures for people on phones. But we have a tendency to allow our bodies to get us into trouble sometimes. And he says, don't do that. But then he turns it around and he says, instead. And I love the fact that the Bible often when it says don't do something, gives us a here's what you should do in, in response. Because you can't just do don'ts. You have to replace the don'ts with do's. Was that confusing enough for you? I worked hard at making it confusing this morning because I want you to remember it. Listen, you can't just don't, you have to do. You can't just remove something from your life because it leaves a vacuum. You need to find something positive to replace what you're removing or else that vacuum is very, very attractive to sin. Jesus even comments on this. 
I looked up the scripture and I wanted to share it with you in case you want to look it up and check me on it. In Luke 11.24, Jesus is talking about this this demon possession thing. He's he's casting out demons and people are asking him questions. And he said, you know, if if you cast out a demon and and the the life that they used to inhabit is swept clean and the demon will go out in the wilderness. This is a really weird story. We'll go out in the wilderness and tool around. If he doesn't find a place to go, he will come back and check his former home. In other words, this person. And if he has found that it is vacant, he will bring seven of his worst friends and they will re-inhabit that person. I know it's a weird story talking about demon possession, but the concept is there. If you leave a vacuum in your life, sin tends to fill it. And so don't just not do the bad. You have to replace it with good. And so Paul says, instead, instead, give yourselves completely to God. God doesn't want a piece of you. He wants all of you. So he says, first of all, don't let sin control the way you live, but at the same time, then he turns it around and says, do give yourself completely to God. Be completely his. Let your motives be his motives. Let your words be his words, and that will guard and and control your actions once your heart is changed. Give yourselves completely to God. And then he says the second thing, use your whole body. He says, don't let even a part of your body be used for evil. But then he goes on to say, use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Every single thing that you are should be used for the glory of God. That comes down to what you do with your hands, the places you go with your feet, the things you say with your mouth, and even the thoughts that you think with your brain. Everything that you do should bring glory to God. Then he kind of wraps it up, puts it in a nutshell by saying, listen, sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. And remember that freedom that we have in Christ, we talked about that a few weeks ago, is not freedom to do whatever I want. It's freedom to do what God has called me to do. And that is always the way to live your best life always. Paul does get redundant, but his point is pretty clear. Sin is no longer your master if you're allowing Jesus to live in your heart. Give your whole life to him. Crucify the old life. Embrace the new life, and the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead will help you to succeed as you live that life. Listen, living the Christian life is not easy. It's not easy It takes work, but it is the best life you will ever live. Pray with me. Father, we give you thanks today for your word and and for these words from the Apostle Paul. I love the fact that Paul just keeps on hitting the same themes over and over again. To us in in our fast-paced society, it sounds oftentimes very um, repetitions, repetitious, like why did he need to say it a hundred times and I think probably it was for the same reason that us parents have to say it a hundred times because nobody listens. (laughs) And if they do hear, they don't do it. And so God, I pray that you would help us in the church today to continue to say the words that are truth until we, we are able to live them. 
I pray that you would right now just speak to the hearts of those who are hearing my voice and and remind them on a daily basis that they no longer have to be slaves to sin, that that they have been buried with Christ in baptism and have come out of the water to new life, resurrected just as he was resurrected, that we have crucified our sins to the cross of Calvary. We've nailed them to that cross and the impact and the effect and the power of sin in our life has been broken just like that vine that was cut off at the ground. I pray that you would help us in the absence of the old self to allow your life to come flooding in and and to allow your spirit to fill us with good thoughts and, and positive thoughts and positive habits that will help us to grow more and more like Jesus until the day that we go to be with you. Help us to find the grit that we need to push through and to become what you desire for us to be, knowing that that is the best way to live life. And God, I ask all of this in in the name of the one that that we trust to provide that power. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Amen.